Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. I um, have served with Chesterfield Press as the associate pastor working on a very, various ministries within the church, including missions, uh, for 20-some years. Uh, I started very young. And um, uh, the Lord has led me to, to be full, full-time with MTW, Mission to the World, which is our mission sending agency to start something new. Um, in the past 20 years, I started a connection and relationship with our church and other churches, with churches in Mexico, with churches and ministries in Peru and Nicaragua and in Guatemala, and also in Africa for many years. We'd go to Nairobi and serve in the slums of Nairobi, and then also for many years and continue to go to northern India and serve in India uh, and in the ministry there. And then we have the privilege of working with uh, seminary students like Sema and many others that uh, Sema is serving in Japan, uh, but we just have the privilege of serving with many others who get trained at, at Covenant Seminary and then go out and serve uh, around the world. And so it really has been part of our church's DNA and, and my heart and DNA to see God's word go out and go forth in a powerful way around the world as we see his kingdom grow and expand. And I'm, I really truly believe that as followers of Christ, as churches who want to really stay focused on true worship and honoring God with our gifts and resources and, and to be all that God has called us to be as his people, that we need connection to God's global church. That we need to be tracking with and be caring for what's happening around our world within the global church. That as we serve the Lord and as we connect with what God is doing around the world, we have an opportunity to make a difference, but also it's a two-way street. We grow so much as we connect with the global church and what God is doing around the world. We have this um, challenge, Mission of the World. It's called the 1% Challenge. So you'll see these magnets out there on the table. You could take one of these. I don't know, it could be an L or something, but actually it's like that, it's a one. And the, the challenge is, as we seek to respond to what God is doing around the world, would God send 1% of the people from the PCA churches to the foreign mission field? What if 1% in the next 10 years would go and say, I feel called and I'm going to be sent to go and, and, and be equipped to go and serve the Lord uh, in the, on the foreign mission field? And that's that 1%. Now, not all of us are goers, but all of us can participate in the 1%, right? We could be givers. We certainly all can be prayers and be people who are praying for God's work as uh, we see servants go and, and get connected to what God is doing in the global church around the world. So how are you one? Uh, how are you one? How am I one? As you look at that, that number and you say, would God send me? to a foreign land where perhaps there's very uh, few folks and very few churches uh, that preach the gospel of grace and of hope? Would God, uh, would God use me perhaps to send others or use me as I pray and as I connect with what God is doing around the world? And that's the, at the heart of what Mission of the World is all about. We want to come alongside churches and individuals and help train them and encourage them and see them connect to the work that God is doing around the world. 
Uh, sometimes I, I look at newsletters and, and lots of missionary newsletters come through my desks and desk and I see these newsletters and I, I, one in particular, there's kind of a byline that says, bringing Christ to this country. And I'm just like, hmm, I, I understand what they're saying. You know, they're, they're proclaiming Jesus in this particular country. But it's almost as if they're like bringing Jesus to this country and yet we need to know that Jesus is already there through the Spirit's work. That God is at work in Nicaragua, in Mexico, in Brazil, in Japan, in India, in China. God is at work through the work of his spirit. And we are just privileged as God's people to be a part of that work. To witness what the spirit is doing in the lives of people. To see churches grow. To see lives transformed. Are you one? Are you the one that's going to go? Are you the one that's going to pray? Are you the one that's going to give? How is God leading you, leading this church? And Mission of the World has started this new entity called the Midwest Hub, which I'm leading and starting kind of a new regional office that's helping to mobilize the next generation of missionaries and helping churches like this one and many other churches around Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, all over the Midwest, to grow in our effectiveness to partner with what God is doing around the world. And as we do that, as we connect to the global church, God transforms us. He changes us. He grows us. He blesses us, even as God calls us to be a blessing. Uh, This morning, as we look to God's word, we know that The word of God calls us to service and calls us to be people who truly worship the Lord with focus and calls us to be people who honor God, not just with religious activities, but honor God by serving those in need, our neighbors and around the world. Our calling for this 1%, our calling to go to the mission field, our calling to be a church that connects to God's heart for the world, our calling is not just something that we make up. It's right in Scripture. It's throughout Scripture. We can see it in so many different places as God leads and and challenges his people. This morning, I'm just going to read a passage from Isaiah chapter 58. I'm going to read from the ESV version. I believe that's what you have up there. Um, And I'll read the first seven verses. So why don't we stand as we honor God because we know that God's word is holy and, and true. And we read, I will read a passage. It's a little bit long, so if you can't stand, that's fine. But listen to God's word from Isaiah 58. It says, cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me for, they ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have you fasted? And you see it not. 
Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to, the, to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Lead us and teach us in the brief time that we have to understand and apply your truth as we seek to follow you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. How can we stay focused on all that God would have for us as his people? I'm reminded of a musical. I like musicals. Don't tell anybody. But I like the musical West Side Story. And there's that old movie version. Natalie Wood's in it, right? And she's Maria. And Tony, you know, the love interest there in that, in that story. And if you remember that, that movie, it shows when they first lay eyes on each other. Do you remember this? If you've seen this old movie... And when they look across the room, Tony and Maria for the first time, they're instantly captivated and in love. And the music kind of softens and the, and the, and the film kind of, the, the picture kind of blurs the edges and the only thing you could see is the two of them looking at each other and they have this little dance. They're focused one to another. Their love is, is clear and undistracted. There's no distractions of the music or anything or anyone else around them. And as we look at what it means to truly worship God, I wonder how we can have a similar experience where we are able to become more and more focused on the true worship of God, where we can truly honor God with our lives, not just going through the religious motions that are around us, but how can we be people who truly honor God with our lives, where we can say, you know what, there's so many things in my life that can distract me and pull me away from truly following God. And even as a church, we can say, how can we stay on the path that God would have for us as we seek to do God's will, as we seek to be a blessing to our neighbors, as we seek to be a blessing to the nations? How can God help us to be focused in that way? We see in the book of Isaiah, kind of the challenge that God has for his people. In, in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, God's people were, were called to follow after the one and true God and to honor him. And they were always called to be a blessing to the nations around them. And yet we see how the people were conquered. They were a conquered, defeated people. And what we see in, in this latter part of, 
of Isaiah in chapters 40 through 66, the promise of salvation. And really the, the question that exists here in Isaiah is, will God be faithful to save his people in spite of their rebellion and the, the way that they have been distracted from worshiping the true God? Will God be faithful in spite of our unfaithfulness? And so as we look at a passage like Isaiah 58, and there's so much to say about this passage, but we look at this passage, we say, what does it mean for us to be people who are truly following after the Lord and honoring him with our lives? To be people who are concerned about the things that God is concerned about. To be people who are staying in line with the truth that God has for us as his people. To be people who are called to be a blessing, even though we know that it's hard for us to be faithful because we are people who are broken and sinful. Can we take a look at this passage this morning, maybe with a new set of eyes and say, Lord, what would this mean for me as I seek to honor you with the gifts you've given me? What does this passage mean for us as God's people as we seek to honor him as a church? And how can we have hearts that are connected with the compassion and the grace that God would have us have, especially for those around us who are hurting and who are oppressed? I run in a park not too far from uh, where I live. It's a nice, really nice park, and it's right along the Merrimack River, which is kind of a muddy river, kind of a, I guess it feeds into the Mississippi, and it's kind of a swift current river, and it's got lots of debris in it, and there's a sign that they put up there a few years ago after a number of people drowned uh, and got caught up in the current, thinking, oh, I'll just go out for a nice little leisurely swim, and they get caught up in this current. And there's a sign that, that has a picture of this person drowning, and it says on the sign in a couple different languages, people drown here. And, you know, I'm running by, whoa, people drown here. You know, it's kind of, it kind of shocks you, startling. I think it's supposed to do that, right? It's supposed to remind you that this can be a dangerous place. It's supposed to kind of stir you up and say, be careful, there's some significant consequences here. And I thought of that as I looked at this passage just to be reminded that in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our, in our world, people are drowning. People are, are drowning in loneliness. They're drowning in poverty, spiritual poverty. They're drowning in physical poverty. They're drowning in fear, they're drowning in hatred, they're drowning in the oppression that they, that, that's around them. Our world is filled with drowning people. And if we're going to be people who have a heart that God would want us to have a heart for, the people that God would want us to have a heart for, if we're going to connect to the mission that God would want us to connect to, we need to recognize that people are drowning. We need to have our eyes open to the reality of the oppression around us and the difficulties that people face right in our communities and certainly around the world. Isaiah starts out in this first, in this first part of Isaiah, it starts out with this 
with this challenge. It's saying, you know, you are people who seem to have it all together. You, you are people who, what do they do? They seek me daily. They what? They, in verse 2, they delight to know my ways. They seek after the Lord in all of these kinds of fasts, in all of these kinds of religious ways, and yet they're missing something so important. And the challenge that we see here is, can we be people who honor God with the religious callings that God has for us, and yet remember to truly worship God as we seek to push back the effects of the fall that are all around us? What is, is it the fast that God would want from, from us? And what, what the problem that we see here in Isaiah is that God's people were acting like the pagans in a lot of ways. The pagans did religious things. And, and why did the pagans do that? Why did those people who didn't believe in the one true God do those things? They did that in order to what? in order to get God to bless them, get their deity to to bless them in some way. And what the challenge from the prophet here, and we're not exactly sure the, the historical situation here, but we can apply it to lots of different times, the challenge from the prophet here is, don't be like that. If you're truly going to worship God, don't just do these religious acts, but think about the things that move God's heart. Think about and act on the things that God would want you to act on. You know, we think about the mission's emphasis of a church, and I I like what Richard Pratt, who is a professor at uh, RTS Seminary, and then also he started a ministry called Third Mill, and I, I like what Richard Pratt talks about. He says, oftentimes the missions, kind of foreign missions of a church is kind of an add on to the church. Like, hey, we do these things here. We have all of our ministries. Oh, but we need to do some mission things, right? So let's add on this little thing over here, this kind of extra little bit. Almost as if we need to kind of appease God by, yeah, we need to be concerned about the world a little bit, you know. And yet we see in Scripture such an integration of our worship, our devotion, our calling, that really our concern for our neighbors and our concern for the nation should be seamless, We're called to be people who don't just go through religious fasts just to go through them and to try to manipulate God to bless us, but we're called to have our heart broken because people are drowning. People are drowning without Christ. People are in desperate need because of the oppression in our world, and we can say in a very clear way that all of the brokenness and things that we see happening in our neighborhoods and in the nations around the world where we see all these problems, whether it's poverty, physical poverty, or spiritual poverty, or all kinds of oppression, we could say that the reason for that is because of broken relationships that exist. And ultimately, the broken relationships that we have with God and the broken relationships that we have with each other. And the only source of healing and of hope comes from the gospel that Jesus is the Lord. It's interesting in the first um, scripture that records in Luke 4, you don't need to turn there, but 
Jesus quotes a parallel passage in Isaiah 61, and he basically opens up the prophet's uh, scroll in Luke 4, and Jesus, and this is, in one sense, the, 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 the passage that he pulls to from Luke 4, and he says, And the scroll the prophet Isaiah was given to Jesus, and then he rolled the scroll and found a place where it was written, and it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to do what? To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And the joy that we have is to join with the mission that God has, that he has done through sending his son Jesus Christ to be, to be the source of all hope, to be the one who provides the freedom and, the, and, and to release those who are captive because of his work on the cross on our behalf and the victory he has over death through his resurrection. And that's the hope that we get to share. It's not about us. It's not about just some sort of add-on. It's about Jesus and the fact that he fulfills all of these promises because he loves us. And he calls us to share that same message with those around us. The passage says that is not this, in, in verse 6, is not this the fast I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your, into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. This is, the, this is the joy we have as God's people. Not just to do religious activities because we're trying to manipulate God. But to join in with the work that God is doing around the world. To join in with the work that God is doing within our neighborhood. To join in with the work that God is doing to release those who are oppressed and to bring relief and comfort and hope to those in, in our world through the grace and hope that is found in Jesus Christ. You know, there's, there's lots of statistics out there about the growth of different religions, right? And I, I, I love reading statistics because you could almost like read one thing about statistics, you know, on the internet everything he says is true, right? But um, you read one thing about the statistics and it says one thing, another thing. But there was one statistic about the growth of the Christian church that I thought was really interesting and helpful. I'm going to see if I can um, say it exactly here from what I read. And that was the number of people that have folks within close proximity of them who are Christians. So like in the 1900s, if you take the population of the world, only 5.6% of the people in the world had a Christian in their circles. Right, in their neighborhoods. And now in, two, in 2017, it went up to 18.4%. And they predict as the growth, as the church grows, and as the population grows, in the coming years it'll be over 20%. So in other words, even now, it's close to 20% of the population of the world, they have someone that knows Jesus that lives right near them and can bring the hope of the gospel to them. And what about the 80%? What are we 
Think about those folks. Are our hearts stirred? Are we concerned about those who don't have any friends nearby them who know Jesus, who could bring the hope of the gospel into their lives? If we're going to be people who are truly connecting with the mission of God, God calls us to be concerned about the oppression and the difficulties and the brokenness that, our, that people in our world face. He calls us to be concerned about what's happening in India, what's happening in Brazil, what's happening in China. He calls us to be people who are concerned about and reaching out to those around the world uh, with the gospel and the hope that is found in Christ. I, I, I've been to numbers of churches and talked to numbers of missions, pastors, and there are, there are, th- there are three things that I see as churches, as I would say, are doing a, a really great job of connecting to the global church. One of the things I see is that they do care. <laughs> they have a concern for what's happening in the global church. As they see and as they hear what's happening in a church in England, they care about that church. There's a genuine concern for the global church. The other thing I see is that they're connected. And it's not just by writing checks, although that's important, we need to resource our missionaries, but they're connected. Face-to-face connections, going to visit missionaries, going to see what's going on in the church around the world. And the other thing I see is that they carry burdens. They're not just saying, oh, well, that's too bad, or that's exciting what's happening. They're saying, how can God use me? How can God use this church to carry some burdens that the church in El Salvador has? How can God use me to be a blessing to the church in Costa Rica? And they're carrying burdens, but they're also, and I think this is important, they're also seeking that the church in Costa Rica or wherever they're connected to is also carrying some of their burdens. And that it really has become a two-way street. That it's not just, well, let me just bless everybody, but it's also, we are poor and needy. And we need the blessing. And we need our burdens carried. Perhaps it's through a prayer partnership that you have with a church in another place. Or with your missionaries as they carry your burdens, as they care for you and help teach you. I remember being in Africa and it was a Friday night and we had arrived a couple days before. We were pretty tired and the pastor's like, we're going to have a prayer meeting. And we're like, that's great. Oh, that's nice. We'd love to pray. You know, I'd love to pray with you all. It's going to be great. And so at 7 o'clock we started the prayer meeting. And it was still going strong but you know, 8 o'clock. And I was like, this is great. Wow, a whole hour of prayer. Wow, I don't really pray that long. It's convicting. So then we um, started to pray more. It became 8.30. And we started to pray more. It's 9 o'clock. And it was just amazing. It was so impactful for our team and for me personally as we prayed for hours, literally hours. And as people cried out to the Lord, as we read scripture together, And they were teaching me what it means to be a person of true prayer. Oh, it wasn't just the quantity of time, right? I mean, we could all spend hours in prayer if we if we really forced ourselves to. But it was the heart that they had. It was the it was the faith that they had. 
It was the, the way that they supported each other. And I left that mission trip thinking, I have come and done some teaching and maybe helped and we brought some, some supplies and blessed them financially. But they have far blessed us with far greater gifts. And I wonder how that can happen in a church like this. How is that happening here at New Life? And how can we can see that happen? How are you carrying the burdens that, that God has enabled you to carry? And how are you looking to the global church to carry your burdens? The passage says at the end of, chapter, of verse 7, it says, When you see the naked to cover him and to hide and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. And this is maybe just a shocking kind of thing for us if we were reading this for the first time and maybe there we'd say, wait a second, you're talking about people who aren't Israelites and you're saying they're our own flesh? What do you mean by that? And I think the challenge here is as we consider what it means for us to be people who are seeking after the mission of God and seeking to serve the Lord in all of the context that God has us, how are we looking at people? Are we looking at people as being those people that need some of our help? Or are we looking at them as our brothers and sisters? Are we seeing the commonality that that we have? Are we seeing the fact that they are, that we are called to care for them just as if I was caring for my brother or my sister? Now, I have five brothers and three sisters, right? So I've got a big family. So I've got a lot of people to care for. But still, if my brother, my sister, my flesh and blood, they're in need, I would do anything for them. That's the same kind of attitude we need to have as this passage instructs us for those in our neighborhood, for those in our community, for those around the world. We are to not hide ourselves from our own flesh. Friends, this morning, do you and I want to be part of God's mission? Do we want to be part of what God is doing? Well, let's not just do empty religious acts. Let's seek after the Lord. Let's look and see where people are oppressed, where people are drowning, and say, Lord, how can you use me? How can you use me? And what a privilege it is to be used by God. I'm, I'm reminded of my friend, I'll call her Anna, she grew up in India. She and her brother grew up in, a, in the slums of India. And her parents had leprosy. Yes, a skin disease that still exists today. And you could talk about the medical reasons for that. It's really not a medical issue. It's more of a social issue. And there's, but it's a horrible disease. And not only is that disease debilitating physically, but it's also you become an outcast in society there in India. And And Anna and her brother um, would have contracted leprosy, most likely. I'm not exactly sure it's contracted, but it seems like over a prolonged period of time, you get this leprosy disease. And so her parents, who were, they were not Christians at the time, they sent her to a Christian home. A home that cares for children whose parents have leprosy. A home that was started by some missionaries who saw this problem and said, we need to step in and help these folks who are drowning and put a stop to this and do what we can 
to bring comfort and relief and to bring the hope of the gospel. A home that was supported by many churches in the United States and around the world. A home that, where missionaries came who were supported by churches like this one and other churches because they cared for, they cared for what, what was happening in the world. And these two children came to the home when they were about four years old and they were fed, they were clothed, they were brought to a very good school and taught and, and academically taught well. And they came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the blessing of all of that is that now these two are serving in Christian ministry. And I was just in India and I saw them. I was at Anna's home and I saw how she had 30 college students there in her home and she's serving food to them. And she's proclaiming the gospel in the word and deed, and I'm saying, this is the kind of work that I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of what God is doing around the world. Do you? Can we pray and ask God to enable us to do that by his grace and for his glory? That God would use us. That God would open our eyes to those who are drowning around us. That God would call us to be one. Maybe it's one to go. Maybe it's one to give. Maybe it's one to pray and to be involved and engaged in what God is doing around the world. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so privileged to be part of your work. We're so honored, Lord, that you would call us to be your hands and your feet. We know you don't need us, Lord. We know that you work above and beyond our abilities, but we pray, and I pray, that you would remind us of what it means to be people who are concerned for those who are hurting. May we, through the power of your spirit and through your grace, proclaim the message of the gospel in word and deed so that your truth would go forth, so that lives would be changed, so that the churches would be strengthened, and that the hope of the gospel would spread and many, many lives would be turned over to you, Lord. And we want to give you all the praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.